Well, hey, if you have a Bible, open up to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16, we are in week three of our new sermon series, our fall sermon series called Dwell. We are looking at the amazing truth that we serve a God who wants to dwell with us forever. And so we're seeing how that plays out in its early stages of his redemptive plan through the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So let's pray and let's ask Jesus to help us understand uh, these wonderful truths today as we seek uh, him through his word. So let's pray and ask for help today to understand this. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for Sam and Gunner, God, that we get to celebrate what you are doing and what you've already done in their lives and saving them and giving them a home forever with you. Lord, we thank you that we, as your people, we get to dwell with you in heaven one day. But Lord, you dwell inside of us now. And so we praise your name. As we just sung your praises, Lord, we are thankful. We are thankful that we have you and we have you forever. So help us understand your truth in Leviticus 16 today. God, what a wonderful, wonderful picture of the gospel. Help us to see that clearly today and let us be encouraged by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight at sunset begins the holiest day of the year in Judaism. It is the Day of Atonement or as we better know it in its Hebrew name uh, today, Yom Kippur. So this is pretty cool, and I didn't, I didn't really plan it this way, uh, but today we just happen to be in Leviticus 16, which, guess what, is all about the Day of Atonement. So pretty cool how the Lord worked that out. But however, as Christians, we don't celebrate the Day of Atonement. At least we don't celebrate it as it's given in the Old Testament, and we don't celebrate it as it's presented today in Judaism. And I think by the end of this sermon, you'll see exactly why that is. So let's talk. Let's talk about the Day of Atonement and what it really means in kind of two different, from two different angles, two different perspectives. So first of all, let's talk about the original Day of Atonement. So let's begin in Leviticus 16, verse 1. This really picks up in the narrative that we left off with last week, and I'll say a little bit about that here in just a minute, but you can see some context clues here. So Leviticus 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. All right, so let's stop right there for a second. So this is referring back to our sermon last week, right? The story last week in chapter 10. You see, the Israelites are God's people. They are camped around Mount Sinai after the Lord had led them out of slavery in Egypt. And so now he is leading them to a new land, a new home for them, but temporarily they're in a camp an encampment around this great mountain, Mount Sinai. And God, this is what's amazing. We've already seen this, but just to kind of recap, God came down the mountain to live with them. God came down to dwell in the middle of their camp. So he literally has his own tent 
God has a tent in the middle of all of their tents and God's tent is different. It's called the tabernacle. It is a very special, sacred, holy place. This is where, this tabernacle is where God's special presence would dwell in a very unique way. So you can see a graphic here on the screen of what is the tabernacle. It's essentially two different rooms inside. So the first room, the larger room you have, is called the holy place. And this is where only priests could enter. But then there's a big curtain. And that curtain separates the first room, the holy place, from the other room, the inner room, called the most holy place. It is in this inner room, behind the curtain, where God's special, unique presence would dwell. And it would specifically dwell in this room on top of a box, a box known as the Ark of the Covenant. So you can see this is a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. It was a wooden box, but it was laden with gold. And inside of this box was the Ten Commandments written on the tablets of stone, Aaron's staff, and a jar of manna. These are three visible reminders of God's faithfulness to the covenant he made with his people. So on top of this ark was a solid gold lid. All right, so the lid there that you're looking at, that's not wood, that is solid gold, and it is known as the mercy seat. So it's right here on this golden lid on top of here where you see the two the two cherubim or the two angels spreading their wings out, it's right here, this mercy seat as it's referred to, that God's presence dwelt. This is where God would speak. This is where God would manifest his presence in a special and unique way. This was how he dwelt among his people in their camp. So verse one here in Leviticus 16 brings to light The real problem we saw last week, it references the death of Aaron's son. So if you were here last week, you remember we spent the whole time talking and discussing this, the death of Nadab and Abihu. So Aaron is the high priest of Israel. He's the only one who can go behind that curtain. But Nadab and Abihu, his sons, they were priests. They weren't allowed behind the curtain. So we learn here in verse 1 that most likely... The reason they died is because they tried to go behind the curtain to see the presence of God. But you can't do that. Nobody can do that unless you do it the Lord's way, the way he has prescribed. Why is that? Well, the reason, and again, we we talked about this last week, the reason is because God is perfectly holy. We serve a holy God. What does that mean? That means that he is infinitely great and infinitely good. There is none like him. There is no other being in this universe that can compare to the greatness of our God. He is over everything. He is above everything. He's in control of everything. He created everything. There is none like him. But he's also perfectly pure and good. There is no sin in him. There is no darkness in him. Nothing wrong or bad or evil can flow out of him. Only good comes from his perfectly good character. So how then, how then could a sinful creature, how could a sinful person 
even come close to the perfect, holy God of the universe. You can't. We can't. And so we see here from the sermon last week, we see that the death of Nadab and Abihu tells us ultimately our sin separates us from God. That's true not just for them, that's true for every single one of us. Our sin separates us from the perfect, holy God who created us to know him and love him and worship him. But no, we have wanted to do other things. We have not wanted to give our lives completely to the Lord God. We have wanted to worship other things. How do we do that? We find things around us in the world that look appealing and appeasing and we just sacrifice to them. We give ourselves to them. We give our time, our money, our energy, our thoughts. We give all these things to other things and hope that they will give us what really only God can give us. You see, this act of rebellion against our creator, which we're all guilty of, it separates us from him. We cannot stand in the presence of a holy God and ultimately, as we saw last week, it deserves the death penalty and that's what Nadab and Abihu got. That's what we all deserve. However, today, in Leviticus 16, God is going to make a way. He's going to provide a way for one, one, and only one representative of the people to enter behind the curtain, to enter into his presence So what we are seeing here in Leviticus 16, you may not think it right now, but this is so foundational to understanding the rest of the Bible, and I'm not kidding. You may think, I've never even read the book of Leviticus. This is the first time I've ever heard a sermon from it. I'm telling you right now, Leviticus 16 is crucial to understanding the rest of the Bible. So here we go. Verse 2, what are we seeing here? God is instructing Moses as to how this one person, this one representative of people can approach him as the high priest. And that's Aaron, Moses' brother. So look at this, verse two. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So God is saying to Moses, This is not a place where you can just walk in at any time, right? No, you can't just approach a holy God at any time. Sometimes, you know, maybe you do a favor for someone and and they may say, man, thanks for helping me out. I really appreciate it. And you say, oh, anytime. But you don't really mean that, do you? Like, I mean, if your neighbor knocks on your door at two o'clock in the morning wanting to borrow your hedge clippers, Number one, that's weird. Number two, you probably should call the police. And number three, you didn't really mean, oh yeah, anytime, right? No, we don't mean that, right? Well, guess what? God was clear. He was clear with his directions. We may not be clear with our directions when we say that, but no, he was clear. It is not just anytime. And it's not just in any way. So this shows that God's holiness must be taken seriously, right? And that To get to God, if you're going to enter into his presence, you must follow the way that he ordains, the way that he says you come to him. Verse 3, that's exactly what he says here. He says, but in this way. So not any time the way you want to do it. No, God says in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering 
and a ram for a burnt offering. So God says, do it in this way. This is the way. Only through the sacrifice of an animal and the mediation of a priest. God says, that's it. That's the only way that you can enter into my presence. That's the only way you can approach this holy God. So Aaron must make a sacrifice of, for his sin and for the sin of the people. So he's first going to make a sacrifice for himself and his family, and then he makes a sacrifice for the rest of the nation of Israel on their behalf as their representative. And God tells him, God tells him to take the blood of these animals, of these separate sacrifices, and go behind the curtain. Now, boy, if you were Aaron, and you had already seen your two sons try to go behind that curtain and be killed by the holy fire of God because of their sin. They did not approach God the right way. What are you thinking right now? I would not want to do this. I would be trembling in fear, putting my hand on the edge of that curtain and pulling it back. But that's exactly what God tells Aaron to do. He says, go behind the curtain, sprinkle the blood of these sacrifices on the mercy seat, on the lid of this Ark of the Covenant where God's presence was. Symbolizing what? Why are, we, why are they doing this? Symbolizing that the lives of the people are being paid for. That's why blood is so significant in these sacrifices in the Old Testament. What is keeping us alive right now? It's the blood. The blood that is flowing through your body. What represents life? It's the blood which contains your DNA, your roadmap for life. There is power in the blood of a body, of a human body. And so instead of the human body's blood being spilt for the death penalty that they deserve, God says, I'll take an animal in your place. So that is why Aaron is approaching God as he's instructed to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Now, let's skip down to verse 15. Verse 15, more instructions. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil behind the curtain and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement. In other words, pay for the sins for the holy place or the defilement from sinful creatures entering the holy place. He is cleansing this place, the tabernacle, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. So theologian Alan Ross says, this this day, this day and this way that God has prescribed was God's way of cleansing this whole tent that he dwells in. He's cleansing this tabernacle so people could continue to come into his presence. Now, on this day of atonement, in other words, this day of pain for sin, the sin offering for the people was actually not just one, but two goats. The goats together, together constitute one sacrifice. But they represent, these two goats, two different things. 
Two different things that are happening when sin is paid for. You see, one goat will be sacrificed and its blood sprinkled in God's presence as a payment for sin. The other goat is going to be sent away into the wilderness. So what's up with that? Look at verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. He shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now, I don't know. I've only touched a goat maybe four times in my life. (laughs) All right, and those were all at the zoo, a petting zoo, all right? (laughs) So I don't know how long Aaron had to stand there Because it says confess all the sins of Israel, right? That's a long time, right, to keep your hands on this goat and confess their sins. So maybe he kind of summarized it, I don't know. But what we're seeing here is Aaron is, is symbolically placing both of his hands on the head of this goat, right? Because this goat is going to carry the sins symbolically as far away as you can imagine. Theologian John Stott says the two goats each embody a different aspect of the same sacrifice. One shows us the means of atonement, the other shows us the results. So so for the people of Israel, the goats together are their substitute. The one goat receives the judgment for their sins by shedding of its blood, the giving of its life instead of their blood, instead of their lives. But the live goat that is sent off into the wilderness carries their sins away. The sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, never to be seen again. Verse 30. For on this day, the Lord says, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. And this shall be a statute, verse 34, sorry, verse 34, and this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Theologian Stephen Dempster says that this whole process ensured for another year that the people can coexist with a holy God. It gave them another year. Everything was cleansed. They had been forgiven of their sin by God. A sacrifice was substituted in their place. Its blood was sprinkled on the altar, on the mercy seat. And so they get another year that they can live with a holy God, but they would have to do this again the next year. And the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that, they had to do this every year. And even though they did this every year, they still had restricted access to God's immediate presence. Still, not all of them could just walk in at any time, in any way. Only the one, only the one representative of the people, the high priest, Aaron himself, only he could pull back that curtain and enter into God's special presence and make that sacrifice. He's the only one. So something, 
Something's lacking here with this Day of Atonement, right? Everyone doesn't get to enter. Everyone doesn't get to go behind the curtain. The people need a permanent solution. A permanent fix to the problem of the separation from God. What could that be? Now let's move to Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews gives remarkable commentary on what is happening in Leviticus 16. You can look on the screens, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying, this is, this is like 1,200 years later. The author of Hebrews is saying, you know, what they did back then was really just a shadow. It was important. It was foundational. But it was just a shadow of the true form to come. Verse, uh, Hebrews 9, verse 23 says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, these rituals that the Israelites did in the wilderness, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So the New Testament is not contradicting the Old Testament. No, the New Testament is saying that was important, but we need a better sacrifice. We need something more, something better that allows all of us to go behind the curtain. So the sacrifices and the procedures in Leviticus 16 and the whole Old Testament, he says, are only copies or shadows of what was to come. They are lacking, they are incomplete. So that's the original Day of Atonement. Now let's talk about the true and better Day of Atonement. You see, when we think about Leviticus 16, when we think about Aaron pulling that curtain with his hands trembling in fear, wondering what he would see, wondering what would happen, we know he's the only one that could do it. And so the author of Hebrews says, this is just a shadow. It's incomplete. It's lacking. What is it lacking? It's lacking the one who could put an end to all sacrifices by giving himself as the ultimate sacrifice. You see, Jesus Christ is the substance to the shadows. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything we're reading in Leviticus 16. It is all pointing to him. And Hebrews 9.24 spells it out clearly for us. For Christ, Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, not the tent that was in the wilderness, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus is the true and better Aaron, the high priest. He represents us. He is the one and the only one who can pull back the curtain and go into the immediate presence of God the Father and, and make that sacrifice by spilling his own blood. Verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to have had have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once 
for all. At the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. His death secured atonement for us. Forgiveness of our sins forever. So Jesus only had to do this once because it took care of the whole problem. Whereas the priests in the Old Testament had to keep coming back, keep coming back year after year after year and many more sacrifices day after day after day, blood spilt all the time, everywhere in the Sinai Peninsula. But Jesus walks into Jerusalem, hangs on a cross and does it once and takes care of it all. That is Leviticus 16 in its reality. The day Jesus died on the cross was the true and better day of atonement. So what does this mean? What does this mean for our lives today? What can we learn from this beautiful picture of something that happened so many thousands of years ago in the desert, but then again in a truer and better way on the cross? Well, I think Hebrews 10, 19 tells us what we can do, what we can learn from this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So I think the key here is to understand that in Christ Jesus, we have confidence. We have confidence in what? Well, Four things I want to give you before we close today. In Christ, we can be confident in our, number one, our access to God. We can be confident to approach a holy God. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 20. He says, by the new and living way. So we're approaching, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through what? The curtain. That is, through his flesh. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, you can see the account in the Gospels that in the holy temple of God in Jerusalem, there was a massive curtain. So it was basically a bigger, better version of the tabernacle. It was a permanent, solid structure building. And it was designed the same way. You had the big room, the holy place, and then the other room, the most holy place, behind a curtain. When Jesus died on the cross, the Gospels tell us that that massive curtain ripped in two from top to bottom, showing that it was God was the one who was doing the tearing. And what was he doing? Through the flesh and sacrifice of Jesus, everybody has access now. Everyone can come into the most holy place. We can confidently, through Christ, approach a holy God. Jesus dealt with our sin completely. Did you hear that today? Jesus dealt with your sin completely. He dealt with your sin decisively. So you don't have to leave here today wondering, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if Jesus really dealt with my sin. I feel like maybe he dealt with yours and yours and the pastor's, but he, did he deal with mine? You see, Jesus dealt confidently himself and decisively with every sin you have ever committed. There's no doubt. There's no question about it. And so what is salvation then? Salvation is saying, you know what? I can't deal with my sin. <laughs> like that is what brings you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's saying, I can't deal with this. 
I've got this, I've got that. I've done this, I've done that, and I can't deal with this. In other words, I can't cover it up anymore. I can't lie about it anymore. I can't work it off by doing better things or outweigh my bad with good deeds. I'm tired of it. It's exhausting. I'm tired of trying to prove to everyone around me that I can be good enough. Lord Jesus, I can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. Only you were good enough. Only you were perfect. Would you be my sacrifice in my place and take the death penalty that I deserve? That is salvation. It is trusting Jesus. That's exactly what Sam and Gunnar did. That's why we celebrated with them today. They came to a realization that they can't do it. And so when you come to that realization and you put your faith in the substitute, in Jesus himself, that is what it means to be saved. That is what it means to be a Christian. And so your current state before God in that moment changes. You were granted access only because of him. So you can have confidence now. We approach God with reverence. We approach God in awe, possibly in trembling fear, in in approach to his holiness, absolutely. But we also can be confident. Pastor, author Michael Kruger says, what a contrast. What a contrast between the two covenants. Now, because of Jesus, you can enter God's presence with confidence. No more wondering if the sacrifice is enough. No more doubting whether you will be welcomed in Christ. We know for sure. We know for sure we will be welcomed. You know, I've heard this illustration before. If you are, if you're an employee at a very large company, you know, and you want to meet with the CEO, do you know how difficult that's going to be, especially if you're lower down the chain? I mean, you're going to try to have to make an appointment, right? And let's just say you're lucky enough to get an appointment to meet with the CEO. It's probably going to be months, perhaps at least weeks, perhaps months away. Right? And you're going to be scared. Right? I mean, you're going to be scared to open that door when you walk in, into that office, right? And so you're going to be standing there <clears throat> trembling with fear. But guess what? Not so with the children of the CEO. You see, the kids, if their boss, or I'm sorry, if their dad is the CEO, they can walk into his office at any time. They can just walk up in there, they can go in there, they can play, right? It's kind of like my kids busted up in my office and just ruining everything. <laughs> I enjoy it. It's great. (laughs) But the kids don't need an appointment. They can just walk in at any time. Listen, that is how you can approach God. You don't need a special appointment. You don't need to make an appointment with a priest. No, it's you and him, and you can go to him at any time. In Christ, we can be confident in the access we have to God. Number two, in Christ... We can be confident in our identity. We do not have to be confused about who we really are. In Hebrews 10, continuing in Hebrews 10, verse 21, the author says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, namely Jesus, right? Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Think about who you really are. You have been given the full assurance that you belong to God in Christ Jesus. Think about who you really are. The God of the universe is your father. 
He welcomes you into his presence. You know, it's difficult for us to remember. I like the the phrase that uh, author Paul Tripp coined. It's called spiritual amnesia or gospel amnesia. I think sometimes we have this this amnesia spiritually where we kind of forget, you know? Like we wake up, maybe we've had a bad day the the day before, and we wake up, we're just not feeling great. We feel kind of lousy. We haven't really been studying God's Word. We can't even remember the last time we had a good quiet moment in prayer with the Lord. So we're feeling just dry spiritually. What do you do? You forget, don't you? You start to forget who you really are in Christ Jesus. And so that could kind of go one of two ways. You could kind of wallow in shame for a couple of days, just dwelling on mistakes you've made and kind of throwing yourself a pity party and just feeling, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. I don't even know if I know Jesus, right? You just kind of have all these weird thoughts, doubts, and things like that. Or you could get really really prideful. And so you can start moving along through life and just saying, you know what? I'm just doing great. I'm doing good, right? Haven't read my Bible in two months. Haven't prayed in a week, right? But, you know, things are going well for me and I feel like I'm doing good. And you just don't even think about the Lord. Either way, whether you're wallowing in self-pity or wallowing in your own pride, either way, what are you doing? You're forgetting the Lord. And so what we must do is keep reminding ourselves of our true identity and stop believing that perhaps we can build a better life or perhaps we have destroyed our lives because we have lost all hope. No, Jesus Christ reminds us every day that we are children of God. As Tim Keller says, you're, yeah, you're worse than you could ever imagine, but you're also more loved than you can ever imagine. The gospel reminds us of that great truth that in the center is the cross. And that's where we must keep coming back. John Stott says, we, we still, of course, have to suffer you know, natural consequences of our sins. There'll be personal consequences, psychological, social consequences. He says, but the legal consequence, the alienation from God forever has been taken care of by Jesus in our place. So when you wake up every day, you can really seriously pray, thank you, Lord, that you have removed my guilt. Jesus, I am not feeling great today. I'm having some serious doubts but I thank you that you have removed my guilt and that legally I am standing before you as clean as I ever could be. And there's nothing I could do today to make myself cleaner. There is nothing I could do to make myself unclean before your presence. I am, I am identified in your sacrifice. I am perfect in your presence through you, Jesus. And so that changes the way you think. It changes the way you act. It transforms your heart. The gospel power transforms your heart as the Holy Spirit embeds this truth in your mind. Are you doing that? Are you dwelling on this wonderful identity that you've been given on a daily basis? Because it really does change the way you live. It changes the way you treat people. You don't have to squeeze the life out of them to give you what you want. You can live freely, giving yourself to others as Christ has given himself to you. It's a beautiful identity. Romans 6, 5, the Apostle Paul says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 11, he says, So you also must consider. In other words, think about this on a practical daily basis. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. It doesn't exist. His sacrifice in your place. God sees Jesus, not you. Number three, we can have confidence in Christ in our community 
Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. You see, we are the people of God. The church. We are the people of God. Let us not neglect to stir up love and good works amongst ourselves. We're in this together. God did not save you. He did not bring you into his family to then go off and do your own thing. God saved you into the family of God to be a part of the family of God, fully functioning part of the family. Michael Kruger, to quote him again, he says, you need someone, you need someone, another Christian, to stoke the fire in you, to keep you on the right track, to help you get up when you don't want to, and to shake you occasionally and tell you to get it together. You need to be part of a team with teammates who will help, encourage, push, rebuke, and love you, and whom you can help, encourage, push, rebuke, and love them. If you don't think you need Christian community, if you don't think you need the life that God has given you in the local church, if you don't think you really need that, and it's just like a side thing, right, or an occasional thing, you are missing, you are missing the wonderful result of Jesus' work for you. He has, brought, he has bought all of us by his blood. What an honor. What a privilege for us to even gather here on a Sunday morning together and worship Jesus Christ who has done this for us together. We can live this way. We can live this way in Christian community confidently because we know, as verse 25 tells us, that the day, the capital D day, is approaching. And that's referring to not the day of atonement, but a new day when Christ will return. And he will make all things right. And we will dwell. We will dwell with him forever. Lastly, number four. Not only can we be confident in these ways in Christ, we can also be confident in our mission. In the mission that he's given us as his people in this family of God. Hebrews 13, 11 through 14 says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priests as a sacrifice for sin, you know what happened to them? They're burned outside the camp. They're unclean. They cannot be, their carcass cannot be in the camp where God dwells. They must be put outside the camp. So verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the city of Jerusalem, outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He became unclean outside the camp so that we could enter into God's presence clean. Therefore, let us go. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You see, I love this. The author of Hebrews is painting a beautiful parallel, a beautiful picture of what Jesus did. And he's saying, as followers of Jesus, Listen, we have to be ready. We have to be ready to possibly suffer the same persecution that he suffered. We have to be real, real, sorry, ready and willing to follow him wherever that may lead, whatever people may say. So the mission that we're on is not to condemn the world. The mission that we're on is to live in the world and show them this beautiful, wonderful, good news. There is one. And there is only one who can go behind the curtain 
And so the people around us who are living their lives the same way that we have, same way, trying to figure it out. How can I go behind the curtain? How can I see the presence of God? I'm just going to try to be good enough. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to do that. No. No. We can share with them the good news that you don't have to try anymore. Jesus has already done it for you. We can be confident that even though this world, this city, is not our true forever home, we can still live in it and we can live for Jesus. We can live as a faithful witness and a faithful testimony in this world for his glory. We can serve this city. We can serve Jacksonville and those who live in it who do not know this wonderful news of Christ. We can share the gospel. We can share his love. We can show them tangibly, just like we're going to do Saturday. We can just show people, you know what? We care because God cares. We care because Jesus cares. We love because he has loved us. Do you see his love? This wonderful news that they don't have to keep trying to get to God in their own way. No, he has made a way. He has made a way. So if you're here this morning and maybe you walked in here and the truth is you just weren't very confident spiritually. You came here today looking for encouragement and I'm telling you, this is it. You can have confidence. You can have all the confidence in the world, in Christ Jesus. Through him, you have access. Through him, you have true identity. You can know who you really are. Through him, you have community. You have this church. And through him, you can confidently live for him on mission. Jesus has made a way. There is a true and better day of atonement. Praise the Lord, we get to celebrate it every day. If there's something maybe we've talked about this morning you'd like to speak with someone else about, maybe you need prayer, maybe you're wondering, hey, what does it really mean for me to follow Jesus? What does that look like for me? Maybe you have questions about becoming a member of this church. Maybe you have questions about even serving with us on Saturday as we love our city, as we live confidently on mission for Jesus. Any of these questions, we would love to talk with you guys. We have a next steps team. This team will be out in the lobby today, right here, out these doors. They're wearing these lanyards with the same color there on them, so easy to see. The reason they're there is to help answer these questions for you. We would love to pray with you. We would love to talk with you. So please, Absolutely. Feel free to reach out to us this morning. You can also email the church. Of course, you can let us know. We'll, we'll get with you and respond to you. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Kyle's going to close us out with a song, but before he does, let's pray. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to truly help us be confident in him in all of these ways. Let's thank him for being the one and the only one sacrifice we'll ever need. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were the sacrifice in our place, that you were the high priest who went behind the curtain, who ripped the curtain in half so that we can have access through you to God the Father. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who dwells in us, to give us this confidence, Lord, this confidence that we can have, we can approach you, we can know who we really are, we can enjoy the life of the church together. We can live on mission for you, Jesus. These are the wonderful blessings, the wonderful results of your grace. So Lord, let us not take any of these for granted. May we not take for granted the access we have to you, Lord. Let us not neglect our time with you in Bible study and prayer. 
talking to you, learning about you, reading about you, listening to your voice through the word of God. Lord, let us not neglect to remember and remind ourselves of who we really are every day that we are forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for us. Lord, let us not neglect the church to be here, to come on Sunday mornings anticipating the wonderful joy we have to worship the great community of Christ you've given us with each other. Lord, let us not neglect to live on mission for you, to serve the people around us, to share the gospel with our neighbors, our coworkers, to get to know them, to let them know there is a true and better way. There is a true and better way. They can also have access to you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for loving us in this way. Help us, Lord. Help us to live confidently in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.